and give it to you to the full. Then another thing we looked at is a growing relationship with God. That God desires an intimate relationship with us. Actually, out of all religions in the world, we have a God who is personal, but infinite, all-powerful, and He desires a relationship with us. Not because He has to have a relationship with His creation, but because He desires to have a relationship with His creation. And then we looked at diversity. The whole idea that we all come from different walks of life, different ethnic groups, different colors, uh, different ideas. We come together. If anybody can bring a people together with different ideas, different opportunities, different uh, scales, whatever that may be, and come together in a harmony, the church should be the one that does that for the body of Christ. Because we can cross all kinds of barriers. doesn't matter what you believe. doesn't matter really what... Um, demographics you're from, doesn't matter what uh, party that you're a part of politically, it's the whole idea that God can bring all people together in a perfect harmony. Not a unity. In the sense of that we're all unison, we say the same thing, we think the same thing, we do the same thing, but in harmony, like an orchestra coming together, all the different instruments making beautiful sound uh, unto the Father. And then uh, we looked at authentic community. That realizing that you cannot grow unless you're in a small community with somebody. I'm not talking about rows. I'm talking about circles. Starting Bible studies in your homes, at work, or whatever it is. And working with people and, and bumping shoulders with them and going through scripture together. Because when we look at the idea of growing in community with under biblical authority, it's not necessarily, well, this is what I think the Bible says. It's, no, this is what the Bible says, and then he refers to other areas of the Bible. And sometimes you even answer questions that you have about the Bible in the Bible with other Bible. So uh, the whole idea is that sometimes even the hardest questions that we have about the Bible are answered in the Bible in simplistic terms. And so uh, being an authentic community about that, and then uh, a strategic service. The whole idea that when we come together as Mosaic, one of the things that we wanted to do, that I felt like we needed to do as a pastor, as a leader, was from the time you come into the parking lot till the time that you leave, that it's engineered around a truth that God wants us to know, a simple truth, and that we can remember it. That's why we have a tendency to go through series instead of books of the Bible. We'll take just a series of nugget and we'll drive it deep, and hopefully we'll remember it when we're done. And so uh, uh, sometimes that strategic service involves different things that we have, uh, like we did biblical authority, and I brought a handbook, but I didn't show it. I laid it down here, had a carburetor and a fuel pump, and I had guys you know, tear them apart and put it back together. And somebody goes this morning, are you going to put that back together since they took it all apart? Because there's lots of pieces and lots of parts. And I said, yeah, I can do that. Because I've done it. I have experience. And through that experience, I can share that with others. And sharing with others brings us to the point of intentional apprenticing. That's another one of our core values. That, in other words, if you're doing life, you need to be doing life with someone else. There is someone that is ahead of you, that is leading you, and there's someone behind you following you. And so, therefore, you need to be working with others, teaching them how to experience the, the life of Christ uh, through your eyes as you're following others. Paul gave the same example. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that brings us today, as in, in uh, relationships that we have to one another, is that um, 
For example, uh, I'm glad it's not tax time, but when you have somebody do your taxes, do you just go to somebody who is brand new and says, hey, I can help you out and, and, and let me give you all my finances here and you give me the best deal possible? Do you typically do that? If you've been doing taxes for a little while, who do you typically trust to do your taxes? Somebody that you've had experience with, right? Somebody that gets you money back, you know? Uh, if, if your car broke down, okay, and uh, would you just take it to any mechanic? Not typically, would you? You would take it to somebody that you trust, or you would ask around people that you trust, who they trust, to work on their cars, right? Um, so many things in life, uh, we want to be able to trust people to take over some of the different areas of our life that maybe we're not as good at. And so that kind of helped us when we started Mosaic because we didn't want to start just a church, another church. I mean, this whole area has way too many churches, right? I don't know how many times people who come in from different parts of the, the country, different parts of the world go, there's like a church on every corner around here. I had a guy call me up one time and he goes, why are you starting another church? There's 85 churches in Salem Springs. Why are you starting another one? I was like, well, I can easily answer that. I didn't want to. I felt like, and that was my argument growing up. There are too many churches in Salem, Dad. We don't need to build another church. We don't need to start another church. And one thing I looked at, the, the more that I looked at it, realizing that, yes, if everybody went to church at one time, there's not enough space. In all the churches in Salem, in 85, if everybody in Salem Springs in a 10-mile radius decided to go to church one Sunday, there'd be standing lines outside each church. Therefore, somebody said, I need to start a drive-thru. <coughs> that's next, okay? Three-minute sermons. Just come right through. We'll, we'll take care of it. No, I'm just I don't know. It may happen. I don't know. Anyway, uh, it took me a long time, really, to give in to God's will for me because I felt like there were too many churches. And then I realized, and, and he proved it to me, that there's not enough. But here's the deal. We didn't want to start just another church. We want to start a different kind of church. Not that we had a better idea than everybody else. That, that's not it at all. It's not about contemporary traditional. It's just a different kind of church for people who are not plugged into church. There are people who drive by churches every Sunday with have no desire to go, I think I want to go check that place out. There are people that come by and they look at Mosaic and they see the sign and they, they that's it. They just kind of see the sign, they walk into Fatigas or the different shops around here and they're just kind of going, another church, you know? And, and they don't think you have any idea of like, I want to really come and check that out. Do you realize that there are a hundred million people in America who don't go to church? A hundred million people. That's the size of a nation. Actually, if you put it up against nations, it would rank number 11 in size. The people just in America who are not going to church. And if, if we could capture, if we could capture people in the idea that you need to come and not check out our church. Not, not, don't come and check out Mosaic. Come and check out our God. 
And people would come in and, and find something and go, yeah, I may not necessarily agree with what that guy said up there, but there's something that makes me want to come back and bring my children and get them plugged in. A hundred million people. Our focus, this is our focus. Our focus is those not going to church or disenfranchised with them. Or maybe even disqualified. I don't know how many people have come and said, you know, have we have talked to and they said, I'm not allowed in my church anymore. You know, because of this or this that happened in my life or because I, I flubbed up here or I messed up there. I'm not allowed in my church, you know. They're like, well, come check out Mosaic. And the, our second focus is, is for you guys. For us who want to invite people to come and hear the gospel, want to invite people to come and, and grow in their relationship with God, to see how what God is doing in our life. That's who we wanted to start Mosaic for. For those who are not involved, and for those who want to invite people to a place that they would feel comfortable inviting their friends to. I, I was at one church, and I wasn't there too long, and I had some friends from the church that I was at, the previous church, come. And they told me later, they said, your church is not very friendly. And I was like, really? Nah, they were friendly to me. He goes, no, I was, I was asked to move because that was their pew. And, and you laugh, but get this. We have already had almost a dozen people who have told me personally, said, in Mosaic, I've been asked to move because that was my seat. Or somebody else's seat that I'm saving for. And I was like, really? We, we already have that type of established, you know, ownership? This, this is my place, all right? So one of these days, I'm going to do musical chairs just for the fun of it, all right? Just to move you all around and get you up. But how much we don't like change. You know, we think, man, I'm just getting comfortable in this place, and he's already talking about moving again. We hate moving, you know? All of us hate moving, right? Because he who thinks he has nothing hasn't moved recently. <laughs> If I move, I may just sell everything with it and just start from scratch. It may be easier, I don't know. Um, so as we begin this morning moving to the idea of purchasing a building, okay, which kind of scares me because I don't want to go from the idea of what we are right now, a fellowship, uh, that we're not really, we're not an institution. It's not this, you know, we're worried about us. But, and that's what scares me. If sometimes moving into a building, into ownership, then all of a sudden it becomes about us and not them. And I never want us to get to the point where we're not worried about those out there who are passing by every day and not being involved. And we want to create an environment where you would love to invite your friends and come check this out. I, I mentioned that like in our youth group, Gentry was so cool because I, I took the, the leaders, adults, on a... Uh, a night out to eat and talk over ideas and, and plans and all that. And, and I left the students in charge. Yes, parents. I left teenagers in charge of the whole building. And they said, can we change it up? Can we decorate? Can we move things around? I said, sure. And I don't know how many calls I got received while I was trying to meet with adults going, you know, they're going... Can we do this? Yes, you can do that. Can we do Yes, you can do that. When are you coming? Are you coming back? You've got to see what we've done. And uh, they changed everything up. It's really cool. But here's the cool thing that was even better. It wasn't about me. And it really wasn't about them. 
They created an environment that they want to invite their friends to that Monday morning when they hit school, they said, you got to come check out what we did. It is so cool. we got black lights. we got stuff on the stage that when we turn off all the, light, the white lights, the black lights, everything glows. And some of them even wore T-shirts because they knew that, you know, hey, this is going to glow when we're in worship, jumping up and down. It's going to be so cool, you know. And that's what we want to do. We want to create an environment that you feel that you're a part of. That, that you've got blood, sweat, and tears in. Not because it's about you, but because it's about your friends that you're investing into their own. And so one of our key factors is that we want you to invest into people's lives and invite them to come see what our God's doing. So we termed it like this. Relational evangelism. We want to be relationally involved with others so that we can be trusted we can be trusted in the context of an evangelist. In the churches that I've grown up, there was the evangelist who came in, he preached the gospel, we invited people to come, we invited people to come hear a stranger and make the most important decision in their life with a total stranger that they've never met before. And then they leave confused because the next stranger that shows up says something like this, if you're not really sure that you're going to make it to heaven when you die and pray this prayer. Well, that's what the other guy said. I'm not really sure. Because I don't know where I stand. I just said a few words and that was it. I even got wet. And then now, what do I do next? I don't know. And so, we want you, we want to partner with you in this. Okay? So look at the definition we have for relational evangelism. It's this. Investing in a trusted friendship for the sake of eternity. Okay? Investing in a trusted friendship for the sake of eternity. We want to partner with you to, for you to build a relationship with others. And we know that you do. Because you work with people. Your kids play ball with other people. And you sit there on the bleachers watching your kid. I get that. But how much can you watch your kid without bumping the shoulders of the person next to you going, did you see that? Or all of a sudden you're both yelling at the ref, and then you start talking about how, you know. So you begin to build relationships. We want to give you opportunities and time to pour into their lives specifically for the sake of eternity. How many times have you been with a really good friend of yours? And some point along the journey, you talk about God. It always comes up, doesn't it? It always comes up. Somewhere you talk about eternity. You talk about life after death. Maybe it's a funeral of a friend. Maybe it's the idea you're just hanging out together and you're wondering, what's the next step for our life? We have enough integrity with those type of friends that we have an agenda. We have an agenda because... We who believe in Christ, we believe that there is life after death. That all people go somewhere when they die. And we want an opportunity to invest into their lives to tell them that. To be able to share that with them. That we have opportunity to invest into others around us. So that we're, as we're walking along, we can talk to you about eternity. Because we believe that everybody goes somewhere when they die. 
I just did a funeral Friday of a person I had never met. I was called by a friend because he was referred from a friend. And uh, I was the, the, the next hitter, you know, in the line because they tried to get this one preacher they knew. And uh, he wasn't available, so they called me. And they go, I don't want to offend you, but, you know, if he comes back into town, we actually want him to do the funeral. I'm like, not offended at all. You know, that's, that's fine. I mean, my first funeral, this, my first funeral was of a guy who was a hermit, and nobody really knew him. And I'm going, how do I celebrate a life that nobody knows? And my mom was like, uh, on this Friday's funeral, she was like, well, isn't that kind of hard? And I said, well, sometimes. But I said, the cool thing about it is I always get to tell the gospel. I always get to tell the good news. Because everybody believes that you go somewhere when you die. They don't know where. And I get the opportunity because of what I do, I can say with authority. Because of what I invested my life into, you may believe something different. But we all believe that you go somewhere when you die. Let me share with you what the Bible says. And I've never had anybody after a funeral come to me and go, you know, I just don't believe that. Not once. Has that happened yet? I usually have people come by and say, well, that's, that's a really good message. And I've had others who believe what we believe come back and go, thanks for sharing the gospel. Because my family needed to hear that for the first time. In the church world, we use the word evangelism, and it carries some baggage. It carries some baggage. You know, in my early days, in, in, in youth pastor, uh, I grew up in a church that we really didn't do visitation. You know, we just expected somebody to come, you know, or everybody just to come to church because you just come to church, you know. A little bit of community out of Weddington, not that many people, a little small church. If you want to come, come. You know, we're not going to keep you out. Just come. And so we never really did visitation. The only invitation of the gospel was presented was on Sunday morning that, or Sunday night or Wednesday night when the preacher preached. So I never actually was taught how to share the gospel with anybody. And when I went to Cave Springs, I was a lady Baptist, and I was getting ready to take the kids to church camp, which was at Siloam. And in church camp at Siloam, uh, we all met as, a, as an organization, and we got together, and there was one old preacher that said, look, guys, I don't know where you are in your walk, but I just want to share with you a gospel plan so that if one of your students comes up to you and says, how do I invite Christ in my life, that you can help them. Okay? Now, I gave you an opportunity to share a little bit. Uh, what would you say to people who came to you and said, I want to invite Christ in my life? What would you say? The ABCs. What is the ABC? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, O, Accept. Believe. Okay. All right. So admit or accept. Okay. Believe and confess. Okay. What else? What else would you say? Come on over here. Okay. Ask them why they want to invite Christ in their life. Yeah, that's, that's what the, the uh, old guy told me, that the, the preacher that said, share with us the gospel plan. He said, when a kid comes to you, don't say, oh, you want to accept Jesus, don't you? Because they're all going to go. Asking why is great is a great opportunity, too, to find out where they're coming from. And what, they what else would you say? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I want to invite Christ in my life, what would you say?
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this is what I did. Let me share with you how I accepted Christ. Cool. Nobody's saying, well, I take him to the preacher. She did. All right. You just want to say it out loud. See, after they said it last night, well, just, hey, just call the preacher, have him come talk, you know. And, and that, that has happened. That happened in, even in, in my life where my brother wanted to accept Christ and my parents said, call the preacher. Let's have Brother Jim come over and share with him. Because how many of us walked an aisle at church and prayed a prayer? I'm just curious. How many of you walked an aisle at church and prayed a prayer? I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's very acceptable. That is very acceptable. But you'll notice that we don't do that a whole lot here. I will offer the gospel. I will give an invitation. But I don't do that a lot because I know that you're investing in the people's lives. And when they have the opportunity to say, okay, I am ready. I want you to have the opportunity to lead them into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. We don't want to be someone's project, do we? We don't want to feel like we're somebody's project. We don't want to uh, be someone's agenda. Oh, wait a minute. I met a, a so-and-so, so i got to share the gospel with them. When I moved to Lincoln, uh, my pastor there, great man of God, and uh, just short little guy but bold, he goes, let's go visit him. Like I said, I grew up in a church that didn't do that. What's that? He goes, well, we're just going to go around town and just knock on people's doors and share the gospel with them. I'm a little introverted, believe it or not. And I'm like, really? And he goes, I, I said, I've never done it. And he goes, I'll show you. And so we go, we knock on people's doors, and he goes, hi, I'm Reverend Adams. This is Mike. We're here to tell you about Jesus. And I'm just kind of going, that just freaks me out. I'm sorry. I just, you know, who, that's just who I am. And uh, so it was really weird for me to, to do that. So I signed up for an evangelism course. I wanted to know how to do it, how to lead somebody to Christ. You know, they taught us different things like, uh, you know, how to, uh, what to do when the TV's up, you know, uh, what to do when the kids are crying, you know, uh, you go to somebody's house and you hand them a pamphlet and you, you want to share with them Christ. And it just seemed to me, so impersonal. It seemed like a project or an agenda. And because there's this idea that we are a relational evangelist, the baggage that evangelist carries, that we are open and honest with people where they are. And we can begin to invest in the people's lives. And then they can begin to trust us. You know, I have a great example. I ran across this, and a lot of you have in, in history class, that gives us a great example of what it means to be a relational evangelist. In 1985, there was an incredible event that happened in history that took place in Geneva. And it was such, this is such a clear visual of what it means to be a relational evangelist, to build a trusted friendship for the sake of something bigger than you are. And for us, it's for the sake of eternity. And it took place between Ronald Reagan and Mikhail uh, Gorbachev. And any of your history buffs know that this is a very critical moment in history. The arms race had been growing, and uh, it came to the point that it was building up to this time where these two 
great powers needed to come together and to come under some certain terms. And so Russia was trying to keep up and everything's at risk. And Reagan, who is referred to as the old lion, shows up and meets with the young tiger, Gorbachev. And in the beginning part, there was these politicians and uh, these uh, people who were uh, not just the interpreters, but the negotiators. And they were going through this. And Reagan looks across the room and begins to confront Gorbachev and accuses the Soviet Union. And he's very blunt, and he's very coarse, and he's very to the point. And he looks at him and says, the reason we don't trust you is because of this and this and this and all the human rights violations. And Gorbachev retorts back and says, uh, you're not my prosecutor, and I'm not the accused. He retorts back, uh, you are not my teacher, and I'm not your student. And it looks like from the beginning, this, this is going nowhere, and nothing is going to happen. And so they break, and they go for lunch. They go their separate ways, and after lunch, they, they get back into the room. The negotiators are lining up. The interpreters are lining up, and it's just about ready to start. And Reagan says, let's take a walk. There's something very incredible. Let's just you and I and a couple of interpreters go for a walk. And what intended to be about a 15-minute just walk turned into an hour and a half walking around the lake and ended up in a boathouse. And they began to talk about different stuff. Look at this picture. What is that to tell you about two men who were arguing that morning? They began to talk about things like family. They began to talk about things like um, sporting events. They, uh, they began, as they just walked and talked, about things that made each other seem like real men. Not just powers, but real men. This talk set up what changed our history. I mean, think about it. Reagan, at this moment, does an amazing thing. And he says, let's just take a walk. They left the negotiators behind, they grabbed an interpreter, and they went for an hour and a half, walking around the lake, and they're sitting in front of the fireplace, and they're talking about families, they're talking about movies, they're talking about all kinds of stuff. You see, history records that. The walls had to come down personally before the walls could come down physically. Before the walls could come down between nations. And it's noted that Reagan reported that he was amazed how much Gorbachev talked about God. And Gorbachev, it's reported, that as they walked around the lake, he was impressed with Reagan's sincerity. It all started with a walk. But the relationship developed in such a way that it was the glue in that relationship that helped in many difficult negotiations from that moment on. That that friendship allowed the walls of communication 
to fall and even spread to the next administration. That later we find Gorbachev sitting beside Barbara Bush at George Bush's 80th birthday with a baseball cap on. A relationship that changed the course of history. So, when we think about this, a trusted friend, we started Mosaic not to just start another church. So many churches, so many different kinds of churches. Paul refers to the type of evangelism that we're talking about today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he puts it like this, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 19. Paul says it like this. For though I am free from what? I'm a free man. Okay? I mean, Rome's in charge. Jesus showed up. He's resurrected. Paul, as a, as a Jewish person, has been living under the law of the Jewish culture and religion, but also under the law of Rome. But the cool thing is, is that he is uh, part Jewish and he's part Roman. And he says, I am free from all, and I have made myself what? A servant of all. That I might do what? Win more of them. In other words, I am not here to serve myself, I am, and I can do anything I want. And sometimes you see in Scripture where he leverages a little bit of his authority in both realms, in Judaism as well as his Roman citizenship. He uses that. He leverages it for the gospel. But in all reality, he says, I'm doing this as a servant so that I can win more. Look at verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win who? The Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I'm not under the law. In other words, I show up in church. If I go to a church where every man is wearing a three-piece suit and a tie, and I show up and cut off overalls and a wife beater, you think that they're going to listen to what I say? No. But if I show up dressed like them, then they will have a, a, a more of a tendency to listen to what I'm going to say because I'm like them, right? If Paul, who is free because of Christ, shows up in the Jewish synagogue, he's going to act like a Jew who is under the law. He's going to respect everything that they respect and be obedient to the things that they're obedient to. Even though he understands, I'm not bound by that, but that I might win those who are under the law. That they may trust me to the point that I can help them see the freedom in Christ. That Christ, who said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. <coughs> Look at verse 21. And to those outside the law, I became this one outside the law. If I showed up in, in, in a Greek church, you know, like Corinth, I didn't come to them and say, well, now you need to be circumcised, now you need to obey the law, now you need to take the Sabbath day off, you need to do all of this stuff. And then he, 
He goes, no, no, no. He goes, for those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. I worshiped with them the same freedom that they felt like they needed to be worshiped with. Not being outside the law. Isn't this interesting? He says, I'm not under the law, but I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, because Christ came to fulfill the law. That I might win those outside the law. Look at verse 22. To the weak, I became what? That I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save what? To those who are weak, I appear as one that is weak so that I can show them the all-powerful, almighty God and what He can do in their life. I have become like those that I'm around so that I can order to lead them to Christ. As a church camp, at uh, Salon with a group from uh, Lincoln. And after service, we usually met in one of the little uh, huts and did our devotion, talked about the day, kind of debriefed, and then I'd, I'd go back to the cabin, and let them go to Snack Shack and run around a little while until everybody kicked them out and, and sent them to their cabins. I went and would go try to take a really quick nap, you know, lay on the butt, get rest, because I know I'm going to stay up most of the night because I know they're going to try to do something to me. So. Uh, I'm just preparing. So I'm, I'm in the cabin pretty much by myself. A few kids are coming in and out. And all of a sudden, this kid Charles comes flying into the room. He's got his cowboy boots on, his Wranglers, his bib shirt, his cowboy hat. And he comes flying, sliding all the way across the floor to his bunk. And he strips down really quick, and he puts on a white polo shirt, puts on his Levi's, his doctor shoes, fixes his hair, and walks out the door. And as he's walking out the door, I said, did you meet a girl that you didn't like cowboys? Yep. And he's just stepping <laughs> out the door, you know. See, he's becoming who he wants to become to win one, all right? Okay? And, and we do that with life. We, we do that with people that we love. If, if we want to win them, if we want to woo them, we, we become like them. I mean, women will eat stuff that they've never ate before because so-and-so likes that, you know, until they get married. Then it's like, no, I'm not fixing that anymore, okay? Or I'm not eating that anymore, you know? But the whole idea is that Paul says that I become all things to all people to win them. You know, I didn't go down to the church at Morrow that, that was created, our church, as they called it, and smoked pot with them to win them to Christ. Or eat their brownies to win them to Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. I, I, I don't go into... He's not saying I go into sin to be like them to win them. He goes, I, I am just trying to associate with them on the same level that I can show them the freedom that I have in Christ. So I can share, share with them the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, He died and resurrected. You know, when a man predicts his death and his resurrection and pulls it off, that might be a good reason to believe in a guy who says, I am going to prepare a place for you up in heaven, right? But when we believe that, you know, if this guy came back to life and he wants to go and prepare us a place that we can live with him after this life is over, it's like, wow. You see, all the disciples believed in Jesus, not because of what he said, they didn't believe in Jesus to keep his teachings alive. They believed in Jesus because they saw his resurrected body. 
They saw the resurrected Jesus, and that changed the whole platform for them. That changed their whole desire in how they lived life. And so it brings us to two points. Okay? Two points. Number one, as long as you're investing into friends, this fellowship will stay on course. As long as you're investing in friends, this fellowship will stay on the right course. In other words, you may come and you may not like the music. Like, man, I wish they'd do some gospel stuff. I wish they'd do some lyrics. One guy last night said, I wish you'd do Spirit in the Sky. You know? And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes I even get uh, people will say, well, at your church, do you do contemporary or traditional? And I usually tell them, neither. What do you do? What I can do. I'm limited what I can do, you know, as you know. But, but really, the whole idea should not be about contemporary or traditional. That, that really shouldn't describe music. Because you know music not as contemporary as traditional. You know music as old country or new country. Rock and roll or metal. Classical, blues, jazz. And, and when people say contemporary Christians, they're asking what kind of music we do. And, and really, it shouldn't be about that, but... You know, maybe you don't like the music, but you like the atmosphere. You like the environment. And, and, and you invite people to come because of what's going on here. People may go, when you invite somebody to come, and you see them pull up in the parking lot, what do you do? You meet them at the car. You, you go outside and meet them. Why? You're glad to see them. And so you want to... Meet them there and invite them. When, when my Aunt Wilma pulled up for the first time, and she's not here this morning, but when she pulled up for the first time, I walked out to meet her. I was so excited she's here. Now, it's like I was telling somebody this morning, you know, Lee and Johnny and Anita and, and Ross and some of them, we're all cousins. And this is not an inbred church, I'm just saying. <laughs> right, if, you, if, you, if you don't know us, all right? What I'm saying is, is we're all family, but we actually have never gone to church all together before. This is the first time. I get a little excited about that. When my aunt comes and, and because uh, in our family growing up, we never really talked about spiritual things. We pray around a meal sometimes. But I never heard the gospel stories of my family. Uh, I'm getting older now. My family's getting really older. And uh, I'm the preacher of the family now. So guess who gets to do the funerals? I'm it. And so they are really liking me now. And, and, they, and they tell me good stuff, okay? Because they want me to say good things. And, and so uh, one time I was at my uncle's house, my uncle's house, and we were talking. His wife passed away, and he wanted me to do the funeral. And I'd already done the funeral of, of his, uh, one of his daughters. And uh, so we're sitting there and we're talking and he's asking about Mosaic. He just wants to know about Mosaic. What are we doing? Because I'd like to hear you come preach. I'd like to come and hear you preach sometime. And I was telling him about, you know, well, we started down at the campus. I'll open. He goes, really? Down at the camp? You Baptist Assembly? I was like, yeah. He goes, that's where I got saved. I was like, really? I've never heard this story. Could you tell me? And he told me. He was like working on a roof or uh, one of the buildings there and and, you know, he was just working on staff there at the camp that summer. And this is way back when, you know. 
And so he goes, uh, this guy comes up, and we're all talking, and he begins to tell me about the story of Jesus. I'd really never heard it before, and he asked me if I wanted to accept Christ in my life, and I said, yes, I would like to do that. And he said, we just knelt down, we prayed right there. That is so cool. And so as we get to know people, as we get to know people, and we begin to invest into their lives, when people come to this church, and you invite them to come, you're seeing this church now, not through your eyes, but through their eyes. Because you're kind of going, well, they don't know that song. Their mouth is not moving. They're not getting into this. Oh, no. Mike, you need to do some songs that they know. You know maybe we need to do Spirit in the Sky. All right? But just the whole idea. The whole idea is that when, when, when they come in and they sit down and you want them to feel comfortable, you want them to feel like they're a part of this. You don't want them to feel like they're kind of weird. You know, that's why we don't give visitors cards with lights that go, visitor, 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 you know. We don't really want you to stand out. We want you to feel comfortable. The second thing is this. As long as you're investing in friends, your heart will stay in the right place. That all of a sudden, it's about you. And you get this. Because in different relationships where you've been, you've invested in their lives and you want them to be happy. You want them to excel at what they're doing. You want, you'll, you'll stop what you're doing to help them. That's when you realize that all of a sudden, wow, my heart is actually in the right place. It's not about me. It's about them. And about working with them to make the most for them. And then they're doing the same thing for you. They're making much about you. They're, they're trying to help you in what you're doing. And, and every now and then we, we bump heads like that. And it's like, can't you ever accept help? Well, yeah, but I don't like to. But I want to help you. And so the whole idea is as long as you're investing in friends, your heart will stay in the right place. When your heart is in the right place, our fellowship will be in the right place. Because as you bring people and you begin to see through their eyes, we will begin, and we are, we'll continue to make it better. You know, maybe we need to cut our songs back a little bit because they're not ready to praise and worship because they don't even know the God that we're really worshiping. Maybe we just need to have another night, you know, that maybe once a month or something like this where we just have a praise and worship now where we just praise and praise and sing and sing and sing until you're just so tired you don't want to sing anymore, okay? Get it worked out for the whole month and then just come and we'll just... It's not that we're just cutting everything short and, and making it... It's just our lives are so much faster and so much busier. They used to tell me revivals lasted two weeks. I couldn't imagine. Maybe it was long enough going a whole week. I was tired. And now they actually... If we do a revival, it's just going to be on the weekend. We'll just do a Saturday, Sunday, and call it good, and, and, and go. It's not trying to make people come and hear somebody that they've never met before and, and uh, you know try to get them to... It, it's, it's more of you investing into their lives. Helping them to see your God from your viewpoint. And we'll create an environment for them that's attractive, that's inviting, that will help them to go, I get it now. Not so I can win them to Christ, because we can't save anybody. 
But we can show them. We can lead them into a grown relationship with Christ. You know, maybe, maybe it's you, you need to know Romans 10, 9, and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Because it's with our mouth that confession is made that He is Lord. It's our heart that we believe and become righteous. Or maybe it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He does what, what people in love do. He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish just in this life. Should not perish but have what? Everlasting and when, what Paul is talking about is not really just about heaven and getting there. It's about making a difference in this life. Because when you invest in other people's lives, you realize that it's bigger than you are. And that's why we come together as Mosaic, because it's not about us. It's about something much bigger than we are. And we'll work at whatever we need to do to make it better. So that when you invest and invite, it's an environment where they go, I'm beginning to see you got it. That's why it's important for us to come together as a, as a body. I know you can worship God at the way. I get that. And you can. I've been in those places going, wow, God. I've been some in, in pretty incredible places, you know, high up on mountains and deep in the forest going, oh, this is, this is so cool, God. I mean, just Thursday. Yeah, just Thursday. I stepped out of the truck, and everything was shut off. Nothing was running. The storm had just passed over, and it was that peace. That's like, oh, this is so cool. It was right behind the house where you grew up, taking those trees out that had been hit by a tornado. It was just peaceful there at High Floor, and you can see. And I just kind of soaked it in, God. You created this for us to enjoy. Thank you. The smells after a fresh rain. Thank you. The taste of something. It rolls past us on into the worship of the Father. And we're so excited about that that we want to share that with others. So that they see that this life is not an end of itself, but it's a, it rolls past that into the worship of the Father whose image we're created in, who spun this world into motion, who wants us to get the most out of this life, not for ourselves, but for Him. And then it rolls on past this life into eternity. Which I really don't know what that's like, but man, it's going to be awesome. Invest and invite. Invest into their lives and invite them into a relationship with Christ. Invite them to come see who our God is all. Father, we thank you, we praise you. And we ask, Lord, that you will just help us. Like Raymond did. Ask others to take a walk with us. So that we can build a relationship with them where they trust us to share with them the good news of eternity. The good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The good news of the resurrection. Give us the courage to share that and the opportunity. 
be your hands and your feet, to be your voice. In Jesus' name we pray.